Hey, welcome to FTR. My name is Ever Kalamako. I'm super stoked about today's episode. It's one of my favorite topics. It is water baptism. Talk more about it right here in just a second. Did you not know that those who run a race run to win a prize? Those who run practice self-control in all things. So therefore, run in such a way that you may win. Run in such a way that you will not be disqualified at the appearing of the Lord. For it is not those who start the race that win, but those who finish the race. Finish the race. That is correct. We must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus until the end. Welcome to Finish the Race podcast. If this is your first time, I want to quickly just say welcome and invite you to go back to the previous episodes. For this, this episode and this subject is one of a series. Uh, we have been talking about the foundations according to Hebrews 6, and today we're going to be talking about water baptism the doctrine of baptisms, and this is actually going to be part one of two uh, as of now, and it's been really good. This is one of my favorite subjects, water baptism, and I'm excited for it, you know, and it was a really good week, and once again, we're, we have these foundation classes in our small group, uh, which we have here every Tuesday night, and so they're pre-recorded, and I'm just doing a small introduction and I hope that this message really will challenge you um, in the subject of baptism. Why do I say that? Well, see, water baptism is one of those controversial topics. And there's different views and different teachings and beliefs on what baptism is and, and what it stands for. But the reality is that Scripture is super plain about it. It's super clear. And so I really hope that this message will challenge you and it will uh, enlighten you and maybe help you. Um, and the whole purpose of it is for one, us to be grounded with the stronger core and our foundations, but also to help others in discipleship, bringing them in so that we know how to be a proper midwife and to bring them through the new birth properly and effectively. So I hope you guys enjoy this message. It is about an hour and some minutes long. <clears throat> the format is uh, the teaching is presented, and then it's open for discussion. So you'll hear a few comments at the end. And I'll say a couple of words at the end, just maybe some announcements or something. So be blessed by this. Hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll talk to you as soon as it's over. So Hebrews chapter 6, we look at that the writer of Hebrews has mentioned already in chapter 5 that that a certain people that he's referring to has been dull of hearing and they need again for somebody to teach them elementary principles of the oracles of God. And it says, you have come need of milk and not solid food. And then we go to chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity and not laying again a foundation. So, He's about to lay out what the foundation is for every infant that needs milk. He says, you have the foundation. Let's move on to maturity. Let's move on to perfection. Let's move on to completion, not laying again the foundation over and over and over. 
Let's lay the foundation once and then let's move on to build this house. He says, not let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of instructions about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so it seems like these six elements um, become the foundation for a new again, new uh, born again believer. And these coincide with a lot of scriptures. They coincide with what John the Baptizer was preaching, what Jesus was preaching, what Paul preached. Because these, all these elements are key, essential for somebody to really be successful and effective for Jesus. Jesus came on the scene preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptizer did the same. Uh, Jesus told Nicodemus, uh, in order to enter that kingdom that's coming, you must be born of water and spirit. And, um, and then we just see scripture after scripture that that has always been the case. That we're baptized into a body by the spirit and that we're washed by the water for a purpose. And, uh, and our eyes should be fixed on the day of the Lord, which brings judgment for the living and the dead. And then on the last day we'll be raised from the dead into newness of life. And we'll all stand before the Lord and, and, and we'll be judged according to our works. That's foundational. That seems to go aligned with exactly what every born-again believer should be looking for and be established with, right? That's key. And so what's, what I see happened, and it's obvious in many people's lives, where we have a lot of believers today that have only clung to repentance, never been water baptized, never been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And... What that seems to me is that their birth has not been complete. It's been an incomplete birth. And um, if you look at a natural birth, and if you do the ha half the job, if you know if you have a mother push and the baby comes out and you leave it there hanging, then the baby's not completely born, right? And you don't put the baby on a on a you know basket and carry it around the rest of his life. You finish the process. You cut it. You cleanse it from the water and the blood, and then you lay hands on it so that it can receive the breath of life, and then the baby has been completely born. Same with the new birth. We, it says, Paul says, I have, I have laid a foundation. That's what we need to do. Every time we go out to make disciples and, and to talk to people and do whatever, and we really walk with them, we lay that foundation. We bring them to the new birth process as midwives so that they're completely born, and then we walk with them so that they grow up in maturity. Doing what? Fixing their eyes towards the end. So we've talked about repentance from dead works. We've talked about faith towards God. We've talked about um, what faith towards God looks like in this life, in this present age. And Jeremy brought a good teaching on the mindset of a pilgrim and a sojourner. That's, that's the faith towards God that Abraham had and that Isaac and Jacob and and everybody's mindset, Hebrews 11, says that they consider themselves from a different country. And if they would look back at the country they left from, they would want to go back to that country. But yet, they consider themselves aliens and pilgrims because they're looking for another country. Every single one of those from Hebrews 11. That's the mindset to have faith towards God is to really be looking to another day. The day of rest, the day of the Lord. And that's where we set our eyes. 
Now today we're going to talk on um, the instructions about washings and and other translations that says doctrines about baptisms. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, for that, I would like to start in Romans 7. People like Romans 6 for baptism, but we're going to do Romans 7. Because we want a strong foundation. <clears throat> what I would like to do is have Jeremy read starting from verse 1. And I'll tell you when to stop. Or do you not know, brethren... For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from, the, from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was dead, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Okay. Thank you. So here we see that Paul, when he's, when he's putting this letter together, he's giving an analogy right now. He's talking about a, uh, a married woman who is bound by the law to her husband while he's living, even if separated, she is bound to the husband while he's alive. But when the husband dies, she is free from that, the bondage, if you will, from being bound to the law of marriage. She is free and released from that. When her husband dies, that she is now free to marry another. And somehow he's using this analogy for something. What is it? It goes on to say that we were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that we might be joined to another, him who was raised from the dead. So now he's comparing it to us who Somehow we were bound to the law, but now we're set free from the law to marry another. Who is the another? Him who was raised from the dead. Now, this is very, very significant. This isn't some analogy alone that just sounds good. There is a profound spiritual thing happening here that we were tied to to the law but now we're free to marry another now 
what exactly separated us from the law and what brought us to life. What was that? And we're going to talk about that as we get in there. I want to set something else up. It says in verse 5, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Now, you know, I was thinking about this today, and if you keep on reading, it talks about the law being being good to teach us without the law there's no sin. There's a verse that says without the law there is no sin. Verse 8, it says, um, But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. If there's no law, there's no sin. Because the sin has nothing to really shine towards whatever, you know. If there's no law, then anything that I do goes. Until there is a standard, then I'm checked by the standard. You see that? So, I was thinking about today and it really hit me. And this only makes sense for those who've been part of the previous classes. But we talked about, when we talked about repentance from dead works, we talked about, and we see in Scripture that in Adam and Eve's case, when, when bef before there was sin, before they took of the tree of knowledge, they knew no sin. They knew no sin. Everything was good. Everything was holy. Correct? They didn't know anything but good. They didn't have anything to compare their goodness to. They didn't know. So there was no sin. Now, all they had was righteousness and holiness. So check this out. When sin entered, then the law of God was pushed away and they became engulfed in their own passions and desires. The scripture says that their thoughts and intentions were, were evil continually. That's all they knew. Now, because the laws of God were pushed aside, there was nothing for them to really compare their actions to. And if they were left alone, then they're not really sinning per se because the standards of God's are not established. They're in the heavens, but they're not established. So what they're doing is it's free game in the sense of like, I'm only doing what I know which is evil continually. But now the moment that the law was established, it says, it says that from Adam, everybody who died, there's a verse that talks about up into the law, everybody who died didn't die by the standard of the law because there's nothing there. And I was thinking about that and it's like, okay, because it was just what they, whatever they knew. But when the law hit, all of a sudden, my filth and my body of sin was exposed. And I looked at the, the, the beauty of God and I said, I'm super way far from that standard. And, and what we're seeing here, guys, basically is that naturally, without the law of God presenting itself like a beaming light, naturally... Our desire and our nature is to do evil, naturally. Okay, naturally, from birth, from the moment that a child is born into this world, they are born with this, the way I call it is like this invisible shield of a sin nature. 
Are they sinners? No, I don't call an infant a sinner, but they have the sin nature and they're, we're selfish from birth. The moment we're out, we're, we're, wah. the mother just pushed, I don't know how long, and, and the baby's like, I don't care, I don't care how tired you are, you pay attention to me. And I was like, wait a second. You know, and every day after that, we're just like, listen to me, give me what I want. We grow up, same thing. And something that I, I really, I see as a good analogy is like, or not an analogy, but the truth is that I don't, I've never seen a parent sit their child down and say, Hey, Johnny, you see that boy with his toy? Take it from him and then hit him across the head with it. You see all, you see all mommy's beautiful knickknacks? Grab him and smash him on the ground. Okay, can you do that? Can you say all these bad words? Can you? We never teach a child to do wrong. Never. I've never seen a parent do that. But I see the opposite always. Johnny, share. Johnny, give him that toy back. Don't take things that don't belong to you. Don't touch mommy things. And just, it's, it's the opposite. Because by nature, we do what is wrong. That's our nature. So we're all born like that. That's an issue when it comes to having a genuine relationship with God. That's an issue. Nobody by their own strength is able to have a relationship with God. We just can't. Because we're evil continually. God is holy continually. We don't not we don't come together. We're bound by this body of sin and we're stuck to the body of sin. It's just who we are. It's I'm I'm a I'm a slave to it. It's my master. And I can't get free. I absolutely cannot get free from it. I can run, I can run 100 laps around this house. It's not going to fly away. It's still going to be there. And so, if we keep on going in this chapter, you know, well, first of all, it says, can you read 5 again? For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Uh, six, six. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Okay. So as we go on, we see that there is something that frees us from the body of sin. What is it that frees us from the body of sin? Um... If I go to, uh, let's see here, before I do that, I'm going to read 13. It says, therefore did that which is good, talking about the law, I'm going to read 12. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteousness and good. Therefore did that which is good become a cause of death for me, may it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin. By effecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment sin would become utterly sinful. So here's the thing: we have a sinful nature by nature, and without the standard of law or of yeah the law of good, sin would never be exposed as sin. Never. I don't know what sin is unless I see what good is. 
And so the law is continually, um, uh, per se, condemning us to death. That's what the law is doing because it's continually showing us how bad the sin is. Okay? I'm going somewhere. The law is continually showing us how bad sin is and thus is condemning us to death every time we sin. Like every time we sin, death is at the doorstep because it's been exposed to sin because of the law. Now to say, well, maybe the law is the problem. He's saying, no, sin is, but the law was there to expose sin. Now, I need to get rid of the body that sins so that the law won't have its, its heaviness to it. So that we'll be free by spirit, not by the law. I don't know if that's, you know, it's hard to understand a little bit, but I'm getting somewhere. And it's saying that we by nature have this shell, this shield of sinful nature, and we need to be free from it. It's not the laws that the issue is the sin. Okay, Ever, what are you talking about? 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. This right here is key. Many people do not understand about the shield of the sinful nature of a human being. Like, we don't even see it. We don't know it's there, but it is there. It's a mystery. 15. I don't, for what I do, I don't even understand or comprehend. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Because the moment, and we talked about repentance, this is like a step after repentance. This is when, this right here is when somebody has turned to God, really with their mind and their heart, and they've decided to follow the Lord and His commandments, but somehow they find themselves stuck. Like, I want to do what is good. I've understood the standards of God. Now I want to do His standards, but I can't. I don't know why. It's a mystery. It's invisible. What is the problem? And what, and what we're saying is that it's because there's this body of sin on every believer. And even though you, your heart might be good, your mind might be set to follow God, you still have this issue in your members that you have to get rid of. And 15 is saying, I don't know what's going on here. All I know is that the things that I'm practicing, I'm not practicing the things that I want to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I, I do not want to do, I am agreeing with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So it's saying that my heart is, is agreeing with the law. My heart is agreeing with what is good, but something else is really coming against that. Okay, 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the dwelling is present in me, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer doing, doing it, but sin which dwells in me. It's just like backwards. Man, I want to do this, but I can't because the thing I don't want to do I'm doing the things I do want to do I don't do I find then listen I find the principle that evil is present in me the one who wants to do good in other words evil is present inside of me who wants to do good 
for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I agree with the standards of God, happily. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, I'm serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Okay, that's the end of the chapter. Now it says, who will save me? Who will set me free from the body of sin? Fortunately, we have the answer. It is found in the previous chapter. The reason we know that this is the answer is because of seven, chapter 7, verse 1. It gives it away. When it starts off uh, with a question, Or do you not know, brethren? This is the first verse of chapter 7. Or didn't you know? What are you talking about? He, he's obviously talking about... He, he had said something to somebody for him to ask the question, Or didn't you know? And so we must go back to what he said. And I believe that because of the way we've broken the scriptures up into these different chapters, we, we've lost the context of what the writers were saying. And so, mine says, or do you not know? Who says something different? What does yours say? Who has a different version that says something different? Everybody says the same thing? Or do you not know? Okay. That's good. Just checking. Or do you not know, brethren? And it starts to give the description. Do we not know what? Okay, so let's go to uh, chapter 6. Man, we could actually go to chapter 4 and just go on from there, but it's, it's really about this one particular issue, and that's the washing away. And so... Here in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is mastered over Him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourself to be dead in sin, but alive to God in Christ. And then it talks about, after this point, don't let sin reign in your bodies. Uh, don't go back into the things that you were saved from. Um, and just because sin is really bad, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or did you not know, brethren? Or did you not know, brethren? Once he describes the freedom from sin and how we're actually free from the body of sin, 
He says, or didn't you know that every person has the passions of sin and they're slaves to sin and they have this waging war between spirit and body? Didn't you not know that? You're free from sin. Or did you not know that you were, you were actually bound to sin? That's what this is saying. In chapter 6, he's telling us about the freedom from sin. And then in chapter 7, he's like, or didn't you know that you were slaves to sin? And then he goes on to explain how we were in bondage and how we had this warring fight between flesh and spirit. So that's how this is set up. If there's any questions about this, I'm going to just real quick. Is it, is it clear? It's clear? Okay. Okay then, so, so that's, that's the mindset. So now I bring all this up to say this. That it's not valid for a believer in Christ just with this to say that baptism isn't necessary. It's not a, it's not a valid response. And here's, here's where I want to go. Baptism and all the verses of baptism that you'll find in the scripture, they all have to do with a new life and a removal of sin. All baptism verses. For example, Acts 2.38. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Uh, Mark 16.16. 16. Um, he... He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. 1 Peter 3.21 For baptism now saves us. And there's more that we'll talk here shortly. But we see that baptism is a key element for some sort of salvation. Salvation from what? Is, it, is baptism salvation to get into heaven? No. No. No, no, no. No, don't ever say that baptism will get you into heaven. Baptism doesn't save you to give you a ticket to go into heaven. It absolutely does not. But baptism does save you, though. It absolutely does save you. And I think we need to understand what salvation is talking about. And once we understand what salvation that it's talking about, we're going to feel so much better about it, and um, it's going to line up with Scripture. There are three types of salvations. The first type of salvation is what Jesus came to do initially on the cross. Can somebody tell me what that is, students? Salvation from sin. sin? Who said that? Salvation from sin. Is salvation from sin a ticket to heaven? No, it's not. Salvation from sin simply means that He's removed sin off your body. That's what salvation from sin means. Salvation to get into the kingdom of God is a whole different salvation that only happens if you endure into the end. He who endures into the end shall be saved. Not he who is baptized will be saved. Even though there's a verse that says that. <laughs> he who, it's not he who is baptized will make it in the end. I don't know. Okay, so... There is a verse that says that, but we have to understand the difference between the salvations. And I'm going to get into that just for a little bit. Matthew 1, 21. Let's go there. He 
Did you guys know that there's a scripture that says that hope saves us? Hope saves us. Did you know that? Grace saves us. Hope saves us. The blood of Jesus saves us. Baptism saves us. A bunch of things that save us. What is it? What really saves us? Well, all of them. If you put it into its proper context and what it really means. You know, our blessed hope, which is the appearing of Jesus Christ, is our, is our blessed hope. And our hope is the appearance of Jesus. When Jesus appears, we will come into salvation. Therefore, my hope in His coming will save me. Right? Just, it's not hope itself. Like, well, me hoping gets me saved. It's not like that. Versus me believing in Jesus will get me saved. Not just the belief itself. But because I believe, my actions match my belief. Right? So because I believe in Jesus, my actions will show that. So... What are we doing? Matthew 121. All right. Can somebody read that? And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's clear here that Jesus will save his people from their sins. He will save them from their sins. This is what he came to do. If Jesus came to save us from our sins, that's one thing. The salvation into the kingdom of God is a whole another subject that Jesus talked about his entire ministry here. He talked about all the parables. Salt is good. In other words, salt has been good because it's saved from its sins. But if salt has become tasteless, if it becomes tasteless, what good is it? And it's not even good for you know, preserves or the field or poop, it's to cast to be cast away. And he says a lot of analogies and parables that have the same flavor of people were invited to the wedding, but somehow they began to make excuses and they never showed up. Or people were given a gift and a talent, but when he came back to receive it, they hid it and they didn't do anything with it. Thus, they got pushed out. And all these different parables that Jesus is saying, they started off good, they didn't last, and now they got out. Hebrews 4 tells us about the, the Hebrews who came out of Egypt. They made it out of their bondage of slavery. They walked into the promised land until they disobeyed and never made it into the promised land because of their disobedience. So, we're, so, so there's a salvation from sin, and there's a salvation into the kingdom. And Hebrews, if we can go to Hebrews chapter 9 really quick. And we, yeah, Hebrews 9, 28. 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Yeah. So mine says, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly weigh him. So it's, why does it call it out like that? He's going to come again without reference to sin. Well, because the first time he came, it was reference to sin. 
But now the second time, the salvation will be not towards sin. It was going to be towards something else. Only to those that are eagerly awaiting Him. Because the first time He came was to bear the sins of many, to take sin off. I'm here to take sin away. He literally said, I have not come to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through me. I did not come to condemn the world, but that they might be saved through me. I came to remove the sins off of the world. I did not come here to establish my kingdom yet. And that's not why I came, guys. I came here to bear the sins of many. But when I come back, I'm going to judge and condemn. I will establish my kingdom. And I will come back without the reference of sin because I've already done it once. And we saw in Romans 6 that the death that he died, he died once for all. In other words, he's not dying again. That the second time he's coming, you better have been washed clean from your sin because I'm not dying again for you. I'm coming back to righteously judge the living and the dead. So be ready and be on guard. That's the second salvation. The first salvation was for the sake of removing sin off of you. Only. So when we say, I'm saved, I got saved in such such year. That salvation only refers to the salvation from your sin. Not to your salvation into the kingdom. Because you best better be on, on, the, on the race running it and enduring to the end so that you can make it. Okay? And you see scriptures that says, you know, they were saved, they were being saved, they will be saved. They're, these verses are so clear in scripture. Okay, so that's salvation. So you're going to see passages that say baptism saves you. But it's not salvation to the kingdom. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when, when he told them to repent, to get baptized for the forgiveness of sin, he goes on and says, With many other words he exhorted them, saying, Save yourself from this perverse generation. Right? There's a salvation now from this perverse generation that takes place, and it has to do with what Peter said. Repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is salvation from this perverse generation. Our born-again experience, our born-again preaching should be in light of being free and set free from this perverse generation alone if you're born again in this room if you've gone through a turning in your mind to follow god which is repentance and confessing sin if you have to and turning from your sin and if you've washed your body in water completely immersed washing away your sins and if you receive the gift of the holy spirit which brings boldness to become his witness then you are born again and you are set free and set apart so that you can endure this Trial and tribulation to endure to the end to be saved. But if you are a believer that has not been baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit, but just made some confession that you love Him and that you've asked Him into your heart, and, and if that's all you've done, then I would say that your birth is incomplete and it's still needing a process of fullness, like a full birth. And the reason we need this, guys, is because it is baptism that saves us from the body of sin that we no longer have to be controlled by desires of the flesh. And we'll talk some more about that. And the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us gives us power and boldness and authority to really proclaim this message and to live it out and to jump over obstacles and to endure the hardships and to to be led by the Spirit on the right decisions to make and, 
and the Holy Spirit shows us all truths. And and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is our teacher, our guide, our comfort. And He helps us. He He seals us until the end. And I don't want to get too much into that because that's the next week. But that's what this entire birth is about. Okay? So, baptism. Jesus was baptized. But wait a second. Did Jesus have the body of sin? Hmm. No, he did not. Because Jesus came to take away the body of sin. And the scripture says that God looked in the earth and he found nobody worthy enough to do this. And so he came himself, the word made flesh. And and he wasn't born in the he was born in the likeness of men, but he wasn't born in this method of men. He didn't have a union between man and woman. And and he was he wasn't born from that union. In other words, he didn't come in the pattern of the flesh like David did. David says, in sin, my mother conceived me. Right? The pattern of flesh contact. He didn't come from that. He came in another way where he was born immaculately from a woman without man. So when he was born, he was born with the nature of God and the likeness of man together. Whoa. In the likeness of man with the nature of God. To take away the nature of man from the, from the earth. So Jesus got baptized without the body of sin, but it was for, and I believe, this is me, that when he told John, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness, it was, it was a, a multifaceted reason. Number one, I believe, because Jesus wasn't born in the lineage of Levi, he wasn't a priest, right? He didn't have the lineage of priesthood. Um, but I believe that that baptism was John the baptizer passing the Levitical priesthood to Jesus. That's one reason. And the priesthood, that's, um, there's a lot of things behind it. But I also believe it so that you and I have no reason not to. To say, well, Jesus didn't get baptized. Well, actually he did, so you have nothing, no excuse. So to fulfill all righteousness, I didn't get baptized. Because John clearly said, you have no reason to. John knew something. You don't need to. You need to baptize me. Let's do this anyway. To fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus got baptized, and God honored it. So when he came out, the heavens opened, and God's like, this is my son. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he rested upon him. Man. So he did that for us, and then he told everybody else to do it. Matthew, uh, Mark 16, 16. He who believes and does the same thing that I did will be saved. Mark 16, 16. And Jesus knew, guys. Jesus knew. Look, I've heard people tell me that, no, 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 Peter, Peter's a liar. Legit, I've heard it. Peter disobeyed. Peter baptized in Jesus' name. Jesus said to go baptize the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Peter, whatever, baptized because his own agenda 
Jesus never meant it like that. And I've heard these kind of divisions when it talks about Peter and Jesus. Jesus said in, in the last books, he said that repentance and forgiveness of sin will first be preached in Jerusalem. He said that right before he left. What did Peter preach? Repentance, forgiveness of sin through baptism. Jesus said it would happen in Jerusalem. That's exactly what Peter did. It's clear. It, Jesus knew this. Mark 16, 16. Believe, get baptized, saved. That's, that's the end of Mark. The end of Matthew. Go make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them. That's the end of Matthew. And at the end of Luke, I believe he says, repentance and forgiveness of sin will first be preached in Jerusalem. So at the end of every book, except for John, before Jesus ascended, and, and keep in mind this was after his resurrection, before he ascended, he made sure to tell them, Hey, Stephanie, just so you know, just so you know, anybody who believes in the baptized will be saved, okay? Make sure they know that. This is what he was saying. Whoever's, he's telling his disciples, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. You got it? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go make disciples, guys. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and teach them all that I've told you, okay? He's given these commands before he gets brought up. And so Jesus is making sure, why would he use those things right before he went into the sky to make sure that they knew to baptize, to baptize, to baptize. And so then in Acts 2.38, when these people are mocking them that they were speaking, that they were drunk, and Peter gets up and says, guys, this is, this is what the prophets have been talking about, that the Spirit of God will be poured upon all men. It's this Jesus, the one that you crucified. It is He that all these things are happening by. Whoa. What do we do? Turn. Turn to the Lord. Wash away your sins by getting baptized into that man that you killed and receive His Spirit as a gift. Whoa. That's big. And then from moving on forward in the book of Acts, guys, every time somebody came to the Lord, they were baptized. Something about baptism. And I know and I believe is because they understood this body of sin. And I want to be saved from the perverse generation. We see Philip and the eunuch. God sends Philip to the eunuch. And the eunuch, the eunuch is not really a Jew. He's not, you know, he's part of some, some pagan, you know, country, whatever. But he's somehow reading Isaiah. And he's like, man, who is this man that's going to be crushed for our, our, our iniquities? And then Philip comes and says, hey man, do you know what you're reading? No, how can I unless somebody tells me? Well, screw it over. Watch out. And the scripture says that he went from where he was reading all the way to his death. And the eunuch was like, yo, stop this cart. There's water. And, and check this out. He asked Philip a question. What prevents me from getting baptized? There's something burning inside of him. That he would ask Philip, is there anything preventing me from also obtaining that? Is there anything hindering me from that? What's hindering me from this? And Philip said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. You as some pagan foreigner, do you believe that Jesus is the son of the living God? I want to make sure that you understand that Jesus is the Lord that he is king and that he's coming back. And I'm sure he preached many more words before he baptized him because Philip was like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I don't baptize too quick. And he's like, I do believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of the living God. And Philip's like, well, come on then, bro. What you waiting for? And he didn't say, let me go get my family, my, my wife, my kids. Well, he's a eunuch. He don't have a wife. But let me go get my, my neighbors and, and, and Sunday. Let me get my white clothes. Let me, you know. He said, now. I need to wash away this body of sin now. Because there's an understanding that I need to wash this thing away. And so they saw something very important about baptism that somehow we've, been, we've lost, but it's coming back. It's coming back, praise God. So, <clears throat> what is... So why baptism? Why forgiveness of sin? Why, why the body of sin removed? Why, why these things? You know, you might, you might say, well, it's simple. Um, to be saved, right? Well, uh, duh, bro. If you want to be saved? You got to get your sins washed away. That's that's the outcome. But why? Um, well, another simple question could be because um, he loves us and he he wants us to be free from sin. Okay, okay, we're getting somewhere. I can see that. What's another layer of reason? To leave what behind? Our sin, what we used to be. Yeah. And when we come up out of the water, we go in the water with Jesus, but when we come up, now we have that nature He intended us to have. <clears throat> there we go. So what you said last was key. There was a nature that He intended us to have, which is a nature that Adam and Eve had. When they turned from that nature, in the very beginning... This is, this is a powerful man. When they turn from that nature into their own ways, because he is loving, he let it go. He's like, just, just do your thing. Like, if that's what you want, I love you so much, I'll just let you do what you want. Because I love you. And it hurt. It hurt him so bad that his creation would turn their backs on him. Turn their minds on him. And... We've gone through this in past lessons, if you want to go listen to it. But his intention was, but I want you for myself. I know you're turning your back on me, but I, I want you for myself. But right now, there's, there's no way, because you're completely lost, and there's nothing you can do. But if I can get you to remove that, that nature, yeah. If I, yeah, if I can give you a way to, to get rid of that nature, I can get you back for myself. Because you will be back to the way that I wanted you to be. But it's still a choice. Absolutely. It was a choice for them to leave. It's a choice for us to say yes. Absolutely. That, that choice was because He loves us. Like He gave us a choice because He loved us. He could have, he could have removed the tree of knowledge and had a per perfect creation but there would have been a mechanical relationship where had no choice, and that's unfair, in my opinion. Yeah, no free will. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not fair. It's that's that's mean, right? It's and so God says, because I love you, I'm gonna give you this choice. They chose wrongly, and now He's like, man, I can either stay away from them and let them do what they want, and destroy themselves, or I can come back into creation, and then give them an, give them that choice again. 
and then set it in front of them, then have them choose all over again, but this time to come back to where I wanted them to be, right? That's what you're saying. So that's ultimately where I was getting that was, this is a reason for baptism, is for him to bring you back to that original state. And what I, the reason I'm emphasizing like this is because many people are seeing baptism as a form of inner freedom for themselves. And that's not the intention or purpose for baptism is what I'm saying this. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what he wanted from the beginning. Let's go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Listen, why did he give himself for her? So that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. And I'll bring this next thing up for a reason. That the word water here in the Greek means H2O. It means awa. It's not some soup. soup. It's not, because it says with the Word, and people are like, oh, that's not water, bro. That's, that's washing with the reading of the Word. No, no, no. If you look at John chapter 1, verse 1, it says that in the beginning was the what? It was the Word. And that word, 14, was made flesh. And if we are washed by the water with the word, I'm washing the water with him. Because he is the word. Okay? And so, that water means water. And so he has given us, so he, he, he gave himself for us so that he might cleanse us, having cleansed us by the washing of water, of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. He didn't just wash you with water so that you could feel good, or that you could say, cool, I feel clean and light, let me go just do what I want. He did it for the reason and the purpose of presenting you back to him in that original state, because that's what that's why I came to die for you, to bring you back to the original state. So start acting like it. Start acting like you're part of the original state. I didn't come die so you can just live your life how you want. I'm emphasizing these things because we are called to make disciples. Each one of us in this room is called to make a disciple or more. We all are. And if we're all called to make disciples, Matthew 28 says that you're called to make disciples and then baptize them. And I'm seeing too many baptism-happy people where they're, where they're just baptizing like crazy. And, and that's fine. That's totally fine if they're genuine. You know, that's good if they're, if they're right. But I really want to make sure that the baptism are happening with the understanding that you have completely turned to Him and that you're no longer turning back to your desires, that you're completely following Jesus, and you're living your life so that one day He'll present you back clean, spotless, blameless, without wrinkle. And I want to make sure that you know that. That the intention of your heart, you, that basically what I'm saying is I don't want you to, to take advantage of His grace and love for your gain. Oh, I, I don't know if I can commit to following him my whole life. I just want to be free from sin. I'm tired of the bondage. Just free me now. But you don't want to commit. I, I, it's just too much. I just want to be free from sin. Will he do it? I think maybe he will. 
but shame on you if you take advantage of his grace like then it talks about that in Hebrew you know those who tasted of heavenly things have turned from him again what do you want to do crucify him all over again I'm not sure if there's more repentance for you but is it possible yeah does it happen absolutely but can we make sure that it doesn't by triple checking their intention of getting baptized right and if you did your job if you said the right things like you need to turn from him and just say the right words and they get baptized and then later on you find out that they didn't just like blood is off my hands I did my job like I did what I was supposed to you know and um, baptism isn't to be taken lightly it's to be taken serious now so I think we can get an uh, understanding of that. Real quick, I want to talk about some of the mechanics behind baptism. <clears throat> what does that even mean, mechanics behind baptism? The science behind it. <laughs> <laughs> but really, so check it out. Jesus died on the cross. He gave himself up. They beat him. They whipped him. They pierced him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Blood came down. They, didn't, they couldn't recognize him. All of that blood that was shed. And we look at it and we say, yes, pro for prophecy, somehow, that the shedding of blood will remove sin. It's in Hebrews. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And you see all throughout the Old Testament that they, they gave animal sacrifices to shed the blood for for uh, uh, you know, guilt, sin offerings, and 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 you know, just sacrifices for their sin to temporarily cover them. And when Jesus came to give him more precious blood, it, it it had more impact and it took it away. Okay. But then we ask ourselves, how is the blood of Jesus applied to somebody's life? Oh, just believe in your heart. Oh, and then just it's, it's applied to your life. Because when I look at the scripture, I see a certain mechanics to it that is played out from Genesis to Revelation or even up until the day that he died. In Leviticus, we see types and shadows of the sacrificial rituals. In Leviticus 14, there is a passage that blew my mind when I was reading. I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Look at this. It says that when they came to do a sacrifice for the lepers, and lepers for us, you know, represents our sin, our, our leprosy, that it says to go and to take two birds in um, chapter 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this will be the law for the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out. To the outside of the camp, thus the priest shall look, and the, and, and the affection, infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper cave, blah, blah, Okay. Um, four. Then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet string and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthen, earthenware vessel over running water. Slay the bird. In an earthenware vessel, your, your body, under running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and hyssop, and he shall dip them, 
dip them in the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over running water. So you got running water, you get the bird, you slit its throat, and blood starts gushing into this earthen vessel, earthenware vessel under running water. So now you have this bowl full of blood and water. Take the live bird, dip it in the water that's full of blood, and then it says, Sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed, water and blood on the one who is to be cleansed, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the live bird go free open the field. The one who is to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off his hair and bathe in water and be clean. Now afterward he may enter the camp and he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. You see that? Bathe himself clean afterwards. After that, you know? So we're looking at this and we're saying, whoa, why not just get the blood and sprinkle it? No, there's a type and shadow of this. And then when Jesus was on the cross, it says that Jesus was there. And for some reason, it was prophesied in the old covenant that they would not break his bones. And so when they're coming around breaking the bones of everybody that was crucified and they came to him, like, hey, I feel like not breaking his bones. Huh. What do I do instead? Oh, let me grab this. I don't know what I'm doing, but okay. And they just, and then it says that when the spear came out, water and blood came gushing out. That wasn't usual. That was unusual. It was prophesied that that would happen because that wasn't the usual case. Water and blood came out. Seems to me it kind of correlates with 14. And then we see that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, it says in Hebrews. And then Acts 2.30, it says, Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So somehow the shedding of blood for remission of sins and baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of sins is one and the same. And that the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to me in the water at the moment of true baptism and faith, that the blood of Jesus Christ is washed away my sin and if that seems weird because only Jesus on the cross can forgive, forgive me of my sin Romans 6 clearly says that when I get baptized I am being crucified with him why does it say that because of the death on the cross takes away sin then that's exactly what's happening when I come into the water I am being crucified with him and it even says that when I get baptized in the water, I am united with Him. I am united with Him on the cross. That is verse 5. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death. What does that mean? It means that if I have connected with Him on the cross, and His cross was death for sin, then my baptism is the death to my sin. So that when I come out of the water, the body of sin is no more. And that's what His death did. But this whole baptism thing is not a symbol. It's not some kind of analogy. This is real things. This is a real life. And I have to say, because the scripture teaches it, that if you don't get baptized into Christ, you have not gotten baptized for the washing of your sins. If you got baptized, if you got baptized for a membership or because you want to get married with your girlfriend or because your friends told you to, then God is saying, I can't help you right now because you didn't get baptized for the reasons that baptism was there for. Don't think that, but but I got in the water, so that counts. My children get in the bathtub and they get in the water all the time. 
When we go swimming, we go into the water all the time. You can't think that just because somebody got into the water automatically, the blood of Christ doesn't get applied. You have to go in there with the, the realization that you're going into there to be with Christ. I am going to be buried with Christ. Whether or not you understand all these mechanics, or you don't have to know all these things. All you have to know is I want Jesus, I want Him and Him alone. He'll take care of the rest. And as the understanding comes with your life, then you'll start to be more free. I promise you. Testimony about my mother. My mother was a troublemaker. She beat teachers up. Um, teachers were scared of her. You know, they. She got kicked out of high school. She she didn't graduate. Okay, I heard you. My mother. I said she she beat teachers up. Yeah, she. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking she was like, she was yeah. mother Oh, no, no, no. Oh, sorry. When she was young. When she was young, she like, she didn't graduate high school. Um, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what'd you say, my son? Um, It's okay. So she said one time she went to a revival meeting. Her and her dad were there and the preacher preached this, you know, fiery sermon and like, her insides were just completely changed and she ran to the altar and she she prayed and she asked the Lord to come into her heart and to really forgive her of her sins, you know. And uh and so she came out she came off from the altar completely changed, brand new. The world is wide and expanded and like everything's different. And the preacher's like, Yeah, we're having baptisms after service, whoever's ready. All she knew was, I love Jesus, I'm doing this. I don't know anything else. They didn't, they didn't give her a Romans 6 explanation. They didn't, they didn't say anything about getting baptized in Jesus' name, none of that. They went, because I asked them, well, what did they say? She's like, I have no idea what they said. I just wanted Jesus. Okay. In the water she goes, out the water she comes, not the same person. And, you know, what, 40 years later or something, I'm, I'm sitting down with her, you know, like a couple of years ago and stuff, and I'm trying to show her this. And she's like, I didn't, I didn't know any of that. I didn't understand any of this. All I know is I wanted Jesus. I went and came out, and I was completely different. And so it's not necessarily for the person to, to know all of this, but it's really the heart of why you're getting in there. And so we're going to counter a lot of people who got baptized as children for membership. I know somebody who got baptized to marry his, his girlfriend. That's why I said that. Like, like you want to marry my daughter? You have to get baptized into our church. He's okay. So that's that's a true event. Um, and so these things really happen. You'll meet them. Yeah, I've been baptized, but why? I don't know. You know. So we need to know this. We need to understand this so that we can help others. And there's a lot of other scriptures um, that really tell us. For example, these are hard words, but like. If you haven't been clothed with Christ, if you haven't been united with Christ, you're not His child. Those are strong words. But that's in Scripture, right? Was it Colossians? Galatians. What is it? I think it's Colossians, bro. Okay. Yeah, right here. It says, and I'll be done. Yeah, 
Therefore, 24, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you all, no, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In other words, you are all sons through faith in Jesus because all of you have been baptized into Christ and you have clothed yourself, you know? And so that's, these are, these are key things to know. And like even being part of the body of Christ, we'll get that into next week, just a little snippet that you're not part of the body of Christ until you're baptized by the spirit. It says, for we are baptized into one body by one spirit. If you haven't been baptized by the spirit, you're not in that body. And, and it's like, man, if you, if you pull these verses out like this and put them in the context, the born-again experience is key. Just like a, a natural birth, we do the whole process once and now. We don't, we don't take them out of the womb, wait a year, cut them build the cord, wait two years, wipe them clean from water and blood, wait a few years, and then pop them to receive the breath. We don't do that. When they're five years old, they're bare, now they're born. No, we do it that same day. If not, they die. And same with the spiritual birth. We want to get it done. If they're ready, obviously. If you're if they're ready to turn in the womb from the world out into the newness. If they're ready, we, we do it. If they're not ready, come back when you're ready. Come back in eight months. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be done. There's so much else to say. And uh, I'm gonna open it up for discussion and questions. So I just wanna say too that that I have many times met with, with people that say you're preaching a work salvation. You're preaching you have to do something to be saved. Um, and so in our Western, our Western world, we, we really have to address you know, certain things like this. Uh, the Jewish people knew there's, there's always something you have to do. You don't, you don't get a spiritual impact without a physical act. It's all through Scripture. But just to kind of combat, like baptism has never been a part of the law. It was never a part of the law. There was never not one time in the law that they said, go and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. It was always there must be the shedding of blood, and so now we enter into this new this new covenant, where where we are it's by faith in believing. We're we're turning from our our thing our, our our lifestyle, and we're believing that the blood of Jesus can wash away my sin, and I'm doing a physical act to to say that I believe this, because your life lived declares what you believe, irregardless of what comes out of your mouth. And baptism has never been a part of the law. So it's a work of faith. And that's the whole thing that Jesus is talking about. Live by faith. And that means we have to do something by faith. Right. <clears throat> I also want to point out that, you know, something we've been tracking this entire time in discipleship training is that the born-again experience has everything to do with the day of the Lord. Everything. The day of the Lord, His coming wrath, His judgment, to judge the living and the dead. Repentance, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God's coming. So the repentance that He called to do was in light of something else coming. <clears throat> he didn't say repent just for the sake of repenting. He said, it did. do it because of this. Faith towards God, we see that faith in God was, uh, uh, was believing and trusting in God that He was going to come and, and He was going to take vengeance over His enemies. We see that in scripture. David writes about it. <clears throat> he says that I, uh, 
He says, I see the wicked prosper and it almost caused me to stumble. Then I realized that you are faithful to the good or something like that. In other words, David almost lost track of what was going on. And he almost stumbled because he saw that the wicked were getting away with wickedness. And he was about to freak out and do something about it. Then he remembered, God's going to take care of this. Thank you, Lord. You see, our faith in God isn't just faith now with our weekly breakthrough and our provide my next meal. It's, God, you're going to take vengeance for me of my evil, wicked people that are coming against me and that I can trust you that one day you're going to put the enemies under your footstool <clears throat> and that I have given myself for my loved ones and they've crushed me. They've stomped all over me. They've done me wrong, but I'm going to love them anyway because vengeance is yours. And I have faith in that. So our faith towards God was this. Now baptism. Baptism isn't for the sake of being free, but it's for the sake of being presented back to Him on that day, pure, clean, uh, blameless, without wrinkle and spots. So I want to be clean for Him for that day. You know, Revelation 19. That I'm going to be presented as a bride adorned with fine linen. Let me be found spotless. And that happens through the washing. So baptism is in light of that. And then next week we'll talk about why the Holy Spirit is. And everything we do has to be in light of that. First Peter chapter 1 says, <clears throat> verse 3, 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, His mercy has caused us to be born again. Period. No, there's no period there. There's no period there. It says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We are born again for the living hope. And that is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. He has caused us to be born again so that we can obtain an inheritance at the end. That's why we're born again. Not that you can wear a shirt that says I'm born again. But you're born again for the inheritance. Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> you know, it's not just a, all I'm saying is it's not just a now thing. Yeah, I'm going to advertise I'm born again if you want, but it's not just for the sake of being born again. You know, the reality is every one of you in this room all of you guys were born the same. You guys were born through a laborious process. You guys were born through a pushing them out. You guys came out. You guys came out slimy and dirty. And you guys came out crying. You guys came out and they had to suck all the boogers out of your nose. And I can, I can even go step by step with what they did with you. If you were born in a hospital. Maybe you were born in a tub or something. But it's all the same. But each one of you guys in this room is going to die differently. You're going to die differently than I do. Some of you guys might die with honor. Some might die with shame in the name, your name. Our goal is to really live for the king until the end so that we can all be in the likeness of him. So what I'm saying is that our born-again experience, as beautiful as it is, even when a natural birth is taking place, the baby's here. Everybody, you know, is happy and there's balloons everywhere and everybody's excited. There's an excitement. Even the angels are rejoicing. But Proverbs says 
Greater is the day of one's death than the day of their birth. Why? Because it's how you end your life that counts more than how you were born. So your new birth is great. Your born again experience is beautiful. But how are you going to end your life? Are you going to end it with a man? I, I finished the race. I kept the faith. Or are you going to be the one that said I neglected this great salvation? And I tasted and saw, but somehow I still didn't think it was good enough. And now I get in my hands and feet bound and thrown into outer darkness. What is it going to be? So, anybody else have anything to say? Yeah, we were we were listening to uh, the book of Romans on the way over here. And it it struck me that it said we are we have a living hope. But hope that you see is not hope at all. For one does not hope in what he has, right? And so our born-again experience, we have it. We see it. It's tangible. We've experienced it. We, we went through the process just like everyone else. We have been born again. This was not our hope. This was a seal so that we can live accordingly to um, Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We're not hoping in our born-again experience. Praise God for it. But our hope is set on the day that we will one day, you know, meet him face to face. And it kind of just struck me like, wow, that's, that's our hope. Our hope is not in our born-again experience, even though we, we need it. We have to have it. Um, but so that we can live a life holy and acceptable to him. Amen. Anybody have anything to say? Let me get you on the mic. Um, yeah, Ever, I just wanted to, this is in reference to when you were talking about, um, you don't know why this happened, but this soldier, um, you know, didn't want to break his legs, but, you know, he needed to make sure that he was dead, so he pierced his side. But I read an article by a Christian who also happened to be a renowned surgeon, and I don't know, I mean, this just blessed me so much. I want to just share it with everyone else. But this surgeon wrote that that was unusual, the blood and the water coming out. But what had happened was that Jesus' heart had burst. That that's what he, you know, that's how his physical body went. His, his heart broke for us. That just, I just wanted wow. to share that with everyone. Wow. Wow. That just has always affected me. Uh, he loved us so much, but his heart broke first. Wow. Do you, um, do you have that article, like, handy? You know what, I, I'm sorry, but it's it fine. so many years ago, Try to look at if, it. If I you know, pray, and, I mean, I'll pray, and maybe God will get it back to me somehow. Okay. Anybody else want to share anything? Any questions? No questions. I'm sure there will be after I listen to it. 
Ever, what about the thief on the cross? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. You, okay. I totally agree with you about, you know, the wanting to be baptized and, you know, having it to be not just like a thing, uh, but, you know, a serious commitment. And while you were saying that, um, you know, because I also, you know, have talked uh, with people and, and baptized and all, but um, the thing that I was struck with when you were talking about that you know, you said you made the word serious, I think, or serious commitment. All of a sudden, I just kind of had a flash of, you know, a person marrying. And, you know, when we marry, that's, of course, to be a serious commitment. Mm -hmm. But so um, I just really had the idea that from now on, I mean, you know, as the Lord leads, of course, but the next person that God gives me to speak with, I'm going to just share with them that this is what you're wanting to do is as serious as marriage, mm -hmm. and you should think of it as serious as marriage. Is that? It's, it's uh, Ephesians 5. Yeah. You think it's for no reason that it starts off with, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for her. Why? It's exactly the reason why. Because baptism allows her to be pure, to present and check this out. I so I, I understand that in the Jewish culture, I don't know how true it is right now, that when the woman comes out of her menstrual cycle, you know, that that cycle of uncleanness and just really releasing the stuff from the body. Now, beef because they do a lot of baptism rituals, which is you know, Hebrews 6, we didn't get into it too much, but it says the baptism, it says doctrine about baptisms. Like there's a lot of baptismal rituals that they did. And so before the woman would present herself to her husband, she would purify herself through purification and baptism. Like she would dunk herself in the water and purify herself before presenting herself back to her husband to present him, herself clean to him. So she just got through this seven-day process in her body. And she wants to go back to her husband. She cleans herself up through a purification ritual to present herself back. And Christ, wanting to present his bride to himself, is requiring the same thing, that you purify yourself before coming from all your filth and dirtiness. And so, yes, I absolutely see the commitment that I'm going to be faithful to no other but to him. And if I were to have more time, we can talk about Romans 7 and the whole analogy of, of, a, of a woman being free from the law to marry another man. That's it's the same thing. Yeah. They're still talking about baptism. They're still talking about a marriage. It's talking about the same thing. So, yes, baptism is connection to a marriage seal as a promise. And why break the promise? Why take a commitment to go in, to be with Christ, and then come out and then break it in the process and be unfaithful? It wouldn't make any sense. So, yeah, definitely. Oh, so yeah, I'm glad you asked about um, the thief on the cross because, you know, the reality is that um, baptism wasn't activated until Jesus rose from the dead. If 
baptism, now that we understand baptism, was a correlation with his death, burial, and resurrection, then Jesus on the cross alive has no effect on baptism. In other words, baptism wouldn't do anything if Jesus is still alive. He's on the cross. He's talking to the guy beside him. And then somebody's like, yo, I'm about to get baptized in Jesus' name. Like, you can do it all you want. There's no benefit for that right now. A.K.A. all the people who got baptized under the baptism of John. A.K.A. The moment that Jesus rose from the dead, baptism was activated. Why? Because now you can be raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. 1 Peter 3, it says here, uh, correspond, uh, verse 21, corresponding to that, corresponding to what? Talking about Noah and how um, eight were saved through uh, water. People were safely brought through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. And in your translation, you might have either parentheses or dashes. Who has parentheses? One, who has dashes? More? Who has nothing? Good, we have something. Okay. It says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. So that was placed in, in these, these thought. It was like a thought or, or parentheses, parenthetic statement. It says, hey, baptism now saves you. Pause. It's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but it's a, an appeal to God for a good conscience, just FYI, that your baptism has nothing to do with your flesh and how you got dirty and sweaty during the day, but it's in the inward part. Baptism saves you for the inward part. Then a good conscience and appeal towards God that you're going to have a fresh start. You're going to have this new beginning, this new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, because, so if I read it without the parentheses, it says this, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's because of his resurrection that baptism saves me. But it's not the putting away of flesh and the body, but a good conscience towards God. That makes sense. So it's an inward work. For sure. But it comes with a mind change and a faith and you come in and all of a sudden... The appeal to God, the, the cry, God, I'm appealing to you for a good conscience. Okay, let's wipe wipe all the old man away. And then wiped away. Thank you, lawyer. You, you fought my case. You wiped my case clean. Have a new beginning. Praise the Lord. And also fulfilling what Abraham did with the cutting off of the foreskin. Now Colossians says it's not the cutting off of the of the foreskin but the circumcision of the heart the circumcision made without hands he's coming in to 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 cut away to to surgically remove the nature of sin from in the heart which is what peter is saying here is a it's an it's an appeal to god for a good conscience what the law could not do what the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do was change the conscience where this can Transform a person into another man. Amen. And, and I could all, honestly go on all day. But any questions, comments? Can I, can I share my baptism story real quick? 
quick? You can, bro. I feel like it kind of goes along with what you were saying. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to record this because I'm going to get you on your own podcast episode. Okay. Um, so, so that being said, bro. That, no, you, you can share it. But that being said, I want to I wanna see if there's anybody else. If not, I'm going to pray us out. And, and then we'll just kind of fellowship together and pray for one another after this. Anybody? No, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, God, to open up your word and to really dig deep into... Uh, what scripture has and what you have laid before us, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your blood that was shed on the cross. God, I thank you for the power of your name. Thank you for the authority, God, that you placed on that cross, God, to remove the body of sin in our lives. Father, thank you, Father, for the fresh and the clean conscience that we have with Father and that we can walk in the newness of life away from the perversion of this wicked generation. I pray, God, that every soul that we talk to and touch, may they see the importance, Father, of this. And may they understand, God, that it's a commitment. It's not just an outward show, but it's an inward work to you, not to the public. Father, we thank you for this. We just honor you appreciate you and everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this. There's so much to baptism that wasn't even mentioned. For example, what name do we baptize in? How do you baptize? All these things we'll be talking about next week. Stay tuned. Until then, run this race. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Endure into the end. I'll talk to you guys soon.